either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. We are top heavy this week in the screening room with a movie I bet you've heard of by now. And some maybe you haven't, but might be worth checking out. We'll check them all out. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from madwolf.com. Let's start in Gotham City when the Riddler, a sadistic serial killer, begins murdering key political figures in Gotham. Batman is forced to investigate the city's hidden corruption and question his family's involvement. It is the Batman. I've been trying to reach you. Find the gun! This is about a king. And Riddler's the match. I can take care of myself. If this continues, it won't be long before you've nothing left. I don't care what happens to me. It's only gonna get worse for you. Whoa! Take it easy, sweetheart. Hear everything they say. Ancient. I'm vengeance. Dark. Yeah, it's weird when you have, when you recommend a movie, when you like a movie, but you almost feel the need, you do feel the need to issue a disclaimer because uh, we got to watch this, boy, it's been a couple of weeks ago now, and I think we were maybe. 20 minutes into it, and I just leaned over and said, boy, is this dark. <laughs> I mean, I expected dark, uh, but this is really dark. So I was telling everybody right away, look, don't come into this expecting fun, a fun superhero movie, because this is not fun. Doesn't mean it's not good. It just means it's not fun. It's very good, but I think, uh, you know, key to this is I don't think it's a good movie to take your small children to. It is PG-13, but I mean, I think, you know, pretty close to 13. Like, well, what we were saying is it's probably closer to the movie 7 oh, yeah. than it is to previous Batman movies. It really is. There, This is a director and co-writer Matt Reeves and, of course, star Robert Pattinson. And it's a very ambitious, bold, new take on the character just very noir, very 70s detective story, and yes, Seven. I mean, it's there's a number of sequences that are just clearly reminiscent of Seven, and and a, a bunch of other movies as well. I mean, it's set, it really starts out, I think it only covers about a week in time, yeah. and it starts out on Halloween night. So you've got some horror movie homages in here, and, and classic noir. I mean, it, it really is a, a throwback in many ways, but yet giving a new take on the character that I think... We're not comic book readers, but I really think some comic book fans will really embrace this take because I've heard from a lot over the years in the different incantations of Batman, the different trilogies. I have heard from the comic book purists who are really have been longing, I think, for a take like this. And boy, they are getting it. And and Pattinson is is great. We've said for a while now on this podcast, if you haven't been following his smaller movies in between the Twilight series and now... He has just made himself stand out as a top-notch talent. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, he truly, I think, is one of the best indie um, actors working today. uh, Both of us, we look forward to every movie he comes out. He puts out, not just because he's always good, and he is, but because they're always different and weird in a fascinating way. Like, the films that he chooses are always so fascinating that I was, at first, a little sad he wanted to be Batman. (laughs) 
But I do. I, I agree with you. I think that his delivery is perfect for Matt Reeves' vision here. And that when I heard he was taking this part, that perked me up right away. Absolutely. I thought, wow, for him to take it, there must be really something going on, something deep and psychological about the character, and there certainly is. This is all about, this is not the, the martini-drinking playboy billionaire Bruce Wayne. This is the tortured soul. Almost, I think, almost to the point of parody. But it, it doesn't go that far, but it goes pretty far as yeah. far as the emo. You, you called him emo, and then mm-hmm. that fits. The emo tortured soul that is not, you know, Alfred, this time Alfred is Andy Serkis. He just, Alfred just keeps getting more burly, I think, <laughs> with, with, each, with each trilogy. But uh, Alfred is concerned about the finances, and Bruce Wayne, this Bruce Wayne doesn't want to hear anything about that. He's only interested in his alter ego vigilante of the Batman, and it's all tortured soul, and it's it's a really to I think to do that without delving into parody just shows how talented he is that he can do that because it's a tough it's just so dark we just keep saying that but yeah, it is it really it's is. so dark it's tough to keep it above board like that above wallowing in your own in your own self pity but then the rest of the cast is great as well you've got uh, Zoe Kravitz who plays Catwoman with. A new level of, it's it's another new take on the character, I think. It is. And, you know, we were talking about this earlier, and the Joker is such a legendary villain, and there's such a, now, this long list of really great actors, blah, and, and I don't want to put it, but Catwoman is a great character. She is. And she also has a long list of really great oh, yeah. versions. Eartha Kitt was incredible. Julie Newmar, my personal favorite. Uh, Michelle, and, or, yeah. Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway was Michelle great. Michelle Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. Yeah. There are some great... I don't, now I don't want to dismiss Halle Berry, but it wasn't a very good movie. I'm sure she could have been good in a good movie. The point is, it's a great character, and those are big shoes to fill. And I think that Zoe Kravitz found a very interesting way to make her human, and also to make her sort of extra special skills seem realistic. Yeah. And also to make her a good counterpart to this particular Batman. Yeah, I agree. And then you've got Jeffrey Wright, always great. Always He's great. Uh, Jim Gordon. You've got Peter Sarsgaard, who, who shows up in a yeah. smaller role. You've got, uh, well, Colin Farrell under this astounding makeup job as the Penguin, which I think is one of the one of the drawbacks to the movie, and we'll get into that. Not his performance, but what they do with the character. But then you've got Paul Dano playing the Riddler. And my Lord, we're all used to the Riddler being a legendarily over-the-top, silly comic villain. Oh, man, not now. No. He is terrifying. Yeah, he really is. I mean, it is such a completely different take on the character. Completely different take on the character. And Paul Dano, who also is always good yeah. in everything he ever does, he he fit this so well, this particular take on this character. He's, yeah, he's really unsettling. He really is. And the whole mood of it, it's not only dark in theme, it's dark in palette. And it's it's wet and it's rainy. <laughs> that's it's another thing. so rainy. That's another thing that reminded me of Seven. It's, it's rainy all the time, but it's such a gothic and noir mood. The cinematography is fantastic. Some of the the framing of the action shots are just brilliant. There's one where it's really, it appears like the only light is from the shooting of guns, and then you just get blasts oh, so of, great. oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's just beautiful, and a fantastic throwback score. I mean, there are so many things that combine to make it just an incredible experience that just envelops you in, in this darkness, but it fits because it's drawing you into this world the same way that the Riddler 
with his assassinations and his riddles, is drawing Bruce Wayne and the Batman into this conspiracy of the Gotham underworld, the Gotham crime syndicate, uh, headed up by Carmine Falcone, John Turturro. There's another great actor. He's a great actor. And that's where the Penguin gets involved. And the one thing we thought, because it's three hours long, I don't think it really drags much, but it does seem a bit overstuffed. I yeah. think that was the one drawback we found to the film. Yeah, I, I and I and I think you're right. It's it's. I think they just tried to do too much with the first installment. To me, the film was a bit talky. I thought, as much as I love the action sequences, they were a little. They weren't peppered in well enough because they just tried. I think to to do too much in between. I, I felt like it was a little bit talky, and as you said. They just have too many characters right now. I don't think that the Penguin character was really integral to this plot. I don't either. And and as much as I thought Farrell was great, and I, I liked a lot of sort of what they did with the character, he wasn't a necessary element to this storyline, and so it, it did. It feels... Yeah. Because the story needed to be trimmed. It seemed like maybe they could have maybe just teased him and held him back for the set, for this next film. And there is one moment, one thing they do with him... That is a wink, wink. Yeah. I think some people might roll their eyes at that. We got a kick out oh, of yeah, it. We're not going to spoil it. But yeah, that was one character we thought maybe you could have trimmed that a little bit. Yeah, so there's like, another character you just get a very quick glimpse of, and it already made me so excited for the next one. Exactly right. And it, that doesn't involve um, a, a stinger at the end of the credits. There is a little something at the end of the credits, but it's more about leading you to a website that takes you to some videos. So if you want to hang around for that, but there's not like an extra scene where you see a character. What The tease of the character they give you in the main yeah. part of the movie, yeah. and it's, it's not long, it's, yeah. not, it's not very much, but keep your eyes peeled uh, and you'll see that. But, but overall, yeah, it, it really is uh, an incredible experience. It is PG-13, as we said, but yeah, the kids... You're just going to have to make that call if you have the young ones, because I know most of the time, especially the younger ones, they like the more the more lighthearted fun. You get those little um, funny asides and one-liners. You are not going to no, get that here. There is not a single moment of camp. Not no, in this. Not no. a single moment. And it really has moments. We're not kidding about Seven. I mean, oh, no. It's very reminiscent of Seven. <laughs> of Fincher's work, generally yeah, speaking, it yeah. is. And some and some other noir flashbacks and, and hard-boiled detective stories yeah. and things like that. As I think you said in in your written re- in the written review, it really does make Christopher Nolan's trilogy, which I adore, seem lighthearted. It really does. It does. Yeah. And also, I think this one goes farther than any of the other Batman films have before in Digging into the effect that Batman has on Gotham City and how and the effect it has on Bruce Wayne himself. You know, the the movies have often used Batman to talk about where the line was between saint and sinner, between crusader and terrorist. Uh, this one goes farther down that path than I think any of the other films have before. And as you said, starts getting into the costs and the sometimes unintended consequences of hero worship. We were joking at the end that if the next trilogy in 10 years from now or whatever, if they make it any darker, Batman's just going to be a serial killer. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much darker you can get than this, but it, it, it does. It makes me excited for what they can do for the next, I assume, two movies planned. Because even when I don't like a movie, and I did like this, but even when I don't like one, I'm appreciative of a complete vision 
by the filmmakers. And I think this is one. Agreed. Uh, if, uh, Matt Reeves, uh, he directed uh, Let Me In. He directed uh, Cloverfield. Cloverfield, two of the uh, new reboot of the Planet of the Apes, Planet which the I thought Apes, were yeah. very good. Yes. And then he co-writes it with uh, Peter Craig, who was one of the writers of The Town, yeah. a very good movie. Yeah. So, you know, there is, there's talent all over the place. The cast is, is great. Now, the production design, the set design, the cinematography, top to bottom, there's top-notch work here. Just for us, just a little bit, just a little bit overstuffed, mm-hmm. but definitely a recommendation for The Batman in theaters all over the place. Now, <laughs> <laughs> next up is a horror thriller we're excited about. Finding herself the victim of a violent monster attack, Jane launches a vigilante campaign to hunt the beast that tried to kill her. Jane's efforts intensify, but her troubling history of drug use and mental illness bubbles to the surface, causing her family, community, and authorities to question the authenticity of her account. This is called Take Back the Night. Things like this keep happening because we aren't willing to see them. I'm not going to let it win. Monsters are real. The monster that did this to me is still out there. All of these women are running or dead. It will be back. I'm just terrified that this is going to happen to someone else. Well, this is one of those we get excited about. We're judges every year for a horror film festival here in Columbus, Ohio. Great film festival called Nightmares Film Festival. And last year, this was a submission. So we got to see it. And it's 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 so great to right away mark something down. Yes, yes. And feel like you really have gotten to see something early. And that's the case with this one, because now, thankfully, it's getting a wide release. In fact, you get to host a, a screening tonight here in Columbus and a Q&A with the co-writer and director. So uh, we're really excited about this film for many reasons. For many reasons, yeah. Gia Elliott is the co-writer and director. She'll be here in town tonight, and she won Best Director at Nightmares Film Festival yep. last year uh, because she just does a remarkable job with co-writer and star Emma Fitzpatrick to tell the story. It's a, it's a monster movie. It's a, a metaphor not just for the attack itself, but it, it primarily the horror in this story is what happens to the victim afterwards mm-hmm. is all of the additional trauma that you face in just trying to see justice done. And for that reason, I think it's it's not only very insightful, but it's really very thoughtful. You know, um, it's a really smart film. And one of the things I really appreciate is that they do not try to make Jane into anything other than just a regular person. She's flawed. She's, I mean, and that's one of the great things. Like I think, human beings yeah, are. One of the great things about Fitzpatrick's performance is that she doesn't, she doesn't even ask you to like this character. She's not, we don't need to. There's no reason to. She still deserves justice. That's right. And I think that uh, I like that bold vision, you know, that it, they're not making her out to be noble or, you know, even what you might traditionally consider a victim. She is a problematic central figure and for me that is the main strength of this film yeah and it's it's it gets into tricky tricky areas with extended metaphors because i think a lot of times a, a movie can trip itself up finding a way to keep it tonally even keeled uh, from from beginning to end that you, you're you're using this vehicle this device in this case a monster to talk about something else and you, you don't want to go too far overboard or too restrained either you want to hit it just right and i think this movie does a good job with that and sometimes because of the budget 
the effects aren't the greatest, sure. but that's okay. They're telling it. The storytelling ri- makes it rise above that. Yeah, I definitely think you're right. I think there are two things about this movie that I really love. One is the names of the characters. So Jane, uh, she's mainly known by her hash her her handle her uh, her social media handle, which is at Jane Doe or yeah. Jane Doe says. Yeah. And that's actually the only character with a name in the film. That's right. There's like the detective, there's the monster, there's the sister. The reporter. The reporter. And what I love about this is that you might watch this movie and think, well, this woman, she's kind of promiscuous and she isn't that nice all the time. And she does like, the point of this movie is this is anybody. This is anybody. If you think the only people who deserve justice are the people who are noble and, and, you know, one-dimensionally wholesome, You've missed the point. Or the people that pass, that somehow pass your test exactly. about who deserves to right. have justice. Exactly. Yeah. The other thing I love about this is that the cast is almost entirely female. Right. Um, and uh, I love that because I also think that, you know, what the film seems to me to be saying, and we'll ask tonight if that's the truth, is that what is perhaps more damaging when you're in this situation and you're trying to survive a trauma like this is when people who should know better turn on you. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I appreciated that because uh, I thought that that was a very powerful statement. Yeah. Yeah, it's well done. A horror thriller and, and monster movie um, in, in metaphorical terms. And it's out in theaters now. Glad about it. It is called Take Back the Night. <laughs> Documentary next. The film explores the rise of comedian icon Lucille Ball, her relationship with Desi Arnaz, and how their groundbreaking sitcom I Love Lucy forever changed Hollywood, cementing her legacy long after her death. In 89, this is Lucy and Desi. You see, when we worked, we were happy. I Love Lucy built every episode around that idea of fracture and coming back together. And I think we crave that as humans. No matter what you've done, I forgive you. <laughs> Will you still love me? You don't necessarily have to be a funny person to get a laugh. Beautiful. I'm not a funny person. The show was one of the most wonderful things happened in my life. We brought the rafters down. At the core, it's all about unconditional love. I think it can be a little bit confusing because, of course, being the Ricardos is nominated yeah. for a bunch of Oscars, and we're <laughs> going to see in a few weeks whether or not they take any home. And this, though, is Amy Poehler's documentary, so much more grounded in, in fact, not that being the Ricardos is a fantasy or anything, but... But it's a great bookend, I think, if you're interested in that, and you should be, because one of the things I think Being the Ricardos does is lets you know how much bigger Lucio Ball really was. Yeah, this if you've seen Being the Ricardos, I think this is a definite, a definite companion piece. If you haven't, it's still going to be good Yes, uh, if, if you are interested in this. And it's a, it's a really intimate and warm documentary and Amy Poehler yeah she has directed before she's directed TV episodes and a couple of movies this is her first documentary and she is blessed by a hobby that we find out that Lucille Ball and Des Yarnez had throughout their life and career courtesy of their daughter Lucy Yarnez Luckenbill who is uh, interviewed poolside and she just says that they love to make audio tapes throughout their life together. They just got on the tape and talked about what was going on and their thoughts on things. And wow. I mean, can you imagine documentary of documentarian being gifted that? <laughs> and you get to hear these people who, of course, have passed away years ago. But still, you you put it together, this film together, in a way that they are narrating their own story. Right. And that is amazing. So Polar has that. And then she has, of course, this this archival footage of the show. 
of behind the scenes, of newsreel footage, of clippings, and they do include some recent uh, interviews with people like uh, Carol Burnett and Bette Midler just singing the praises, and that's great. But I'll tell you, the one, the, the love you feel the most from is the face you don't see, and that's Amy Poehler, right. the way she puts this together. Clearly and understandably a fan. Right. Uh, and so the film is great in not only reminding you, or if you didn't know, uh, telling you for the first time why these two, and not just Lucille Ball, but, but Desi Arnaz as well, why these two were legendary, are legendary uh, entertainers, but also about their life together, how they got together, how well, the empire that they built, not only the show, but Desilu Studios, which, if you didn't know, was the studio behind some other groundbreaking TV series of the day. And uh, it's, it's an incredible story that she is able to weave together in a way that doesn't make any bit, not one minute, feel wasted. And it's only just a little over 90 minutes. Uh, but you you get to get a complete, you feel like you get a complete story, well, almost complete, <laughs> let's put it that way, about their career and their life together. The, the one thing, especially if you've seen Being the Ricardos that jumps out, is because, if you remember, Being the Ricardos credits Desi's infidelities with being a major reason they split up. This movie doesn't address that at all. It really talks about the pressures of having a show and then a studio that got to both of them, that drove them apart. And was that a deal that the Amy Poehler had to make with Lucy Arnaz to get her? I, I don't know. I can only, we can only guess. If that is the case, it, it reminded me of uh, the recent documentary, uh, Sound of My Voice from Linda Ronstadt. So good. She only agreed to that if they were not going to talk about her relationships. But having her own voice there, right, having right. her own input, it was a trade that was, was worthwhile. So even though it seems like maybe there's a pulled punch here, it should at least address it. Uh, it never does. If if that's the deal that Amy Poehler had to make, it's it's worth it just for the because really you probably couldn't have made the film without it. The, the access that you get from Lucy Arnaz and 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 strangely, uh, Desi Arnaz Jr. is hardly involved at all. You you hear his voice, you never see him. It only in uh, flashback footage. Uh, he's got a few quotes in it, but it's mainly Lucy Arnaz um, Luckinbill. Uh, providing all the access and all the stories. And to her, their relationship is just about unconditional love. So it's clear she didn't want to go there. If, if that was a, a deal, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just guessing. But if it was, it was worth it because this is uh, just a, a warm and intimate documentary about two legends, their their life together and their life out in front of the camera. And it's definitely worth seeing. And it's on Prime. Whether or not you've seen Being the Ricardos, I think you'll enjoy it. And got a foreign film next, a thriller. A woman whose visit to a hair salon turns into a nightmare when she is blackmailed by its owner. This is called Huda's Salon. Matt Wiener reviewed this one for us, and uh, you should definitely have a look at his written review. He loved he this He loved movie. it. Boy, he was saying that you, we just don't see spy thrillers like this anymore. He's like, it's tight, it's tense, it's on the edge of your seat, and the performances are magnificent. Mm -hmm. It's an exciting film. That's a hard kind of movie to make. It, I mean, any kind of movie is, is hard to make, but... But an international thriller yeah. spy movie. They can be, even when they're good, they can be dry. They can be. You know, very, very antiseptic and, and very talky uh, and very dry. But this is a writer and director, Haney Abu Assad, and it's in Arabic. 
And yeah, it definitely encourage you to uh, read Matt's review because he loved the movie. And uh, and yeah, if if you can do it and do it well, good spy thrillers are just just breathless. Yes, they and, are. And they really just leave you on the edge of your seat, as this one does. And it's available in some theaters, in select theaters, and also uh, on VOD starting this week. Uh, Who does Salon? Full review from Matt Weiner at MadWolf.com. But a big recommendation for that one. And we'll end on a low note, unfortunately, another of foreign film, a comedy. Issachar and Zabulon, two brothers in their 20s, are supremely stupid and never bored as madness is part of their daily lives. When they lose their mother's beloved dog, they have 24 hours to find it or she will kick them out. This is called Mother Schmuckers. Yeah, Brandon Thomas drew the short straw this week. <laughs> this is uh, from Belgium, and uh, yeah, Brandon makes the point that that we often make that look, main characters don't have to be likable, right? But in this case, he said they also don't have to be cruel, and this just devolves into a mess of antics that seem like it's a prank show that aren't funny and they're distasteful, and he hated it. Yeah, uh, yeah, he definitely did not make me. Want to watch it. So we want to thank him again for uh, taking one for the team this week. The short straw. And that is called, that is on uh, VOD. If you want to uh, go there, you can go there called Mother Schmuckers. And Brandon's review is at madwolf.com. All right. Well, he took the week off last week, but he's back. So let's head to the lobby for some knowledge from the Schlocketeer. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby, checking in with the Schlocketeer, also known as Daniel Baldwin, for the latest news and, and tidbits, studio odds and ends. What are you hearing this week? Well, before I get to the delays, I'll, I'll drop some uh, info on things you actually can watch right now. Okay. <laughs> um, particularly things that came out late last year. Uh, the French Dispatch and Drive My Car are both available to stream now on HBO Max. Nice. The Kingsman prequel, The King's Man, is now on both Hulu and HBO Max. Steven Spielberg's West Side Story is streaming on HBO Max and Disney+. And on the horror front, we've got um, Titan on Hulu, and then you know a favorite of mine, the 2011 French horror movie Livid, has finally made its U.S. debut after over a decade, thanks to Shudder. So, yeah. Lots we, of stuff to watch there. We just watched that the other night. There's a lot, boy, all, all the ones you mentioned, there's some good stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then on to the delays. Lionsgate has pulled the release of their um, drama, The Unbreakable Boy, from March 18th. They have not set a new date for it yet. And we also have a pair of action movie delays. STX has pulled their Guy Ritchie and Jason Statham spy comedy, Operation Fortune, from its March 18th date. And Paramount has removed uh, the Chris Pine and Ben Foster action thriller, The Contractor, from its April 1st date. Neither of those have new slots yet either. And then the Dion Taylor horror thriller Fear has once again shifted its release. Instead of opening mid-May, it won't come out until August 26th now. And the big one, Sony has postponed the release of their Adam Driver sci-fi thriller 65 from April of this year to April of next year. Ooh. And they've also yanked a Jack Black comedy called All Hell No from its June release date, but that's because it hasn't even gone into production yet. So there was no way it was going to make it at mm-hmm. this point. Stuff that's actually coming out... Uh, Stage Six's Sam Raimi-produced horror flick, Uma, will hit theaters on March 18th, which means we get two new wide-release horror movies two weeks from now, with the other being Ty West's X. All right, bring them on. So, some, some better news on that front. 
Adrian Lyons' Deep Water, the erotic thriller with Ben Affleck and Anita Armas, finally has a date that is hitting Hulu on March 18th. There's also a Hitchcockian thriller called Windfall hitting Netflix on March 18th. And again, March 18th is a popular day, if you haven't noticed so far. Um, <laughs> Vertical Entertainment's Kiki Palmer starring thriller Alice is also arriving on March 18th. That'll be on VOD and limited theatrical release. And beyond that, we've got a Chris Pine spy thriller called All the Old Knives hitting Amazon Prime on April 8th. The Chippendales Rescue Rangers movie premiering on Disney Plus on May 20th. And Adam Sandler's sports drama Hustle will debut on Netflix on June 10th. That one's more of a dramatic role, you know, kind of more in line with Uncut Gems and uh, Punch Drunk Love. So, you know, he's not giving that up. Which Good. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I wish he'd give the other ones up. <laughs> And then the depressing news that came out this week, of course, is that, you know, it hasn't 100, 100% officially been confirmed, but there's been rumors about it for a while now, and there was more, um, let's say, substantial uh, talk of it this week. Supposedly, Bruce Willis has developed uh, early-onset dementia, and that is the reason why he's been cranking out movies for the past, I don't know, mm. six years or so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Supposedly, he is doing it uh, for two reasons. One, to make sure his family is financially set after he is gone, and the other, to specifically stockpile money for them to be able to take care of them without bankrupting themselves once he's no longer able to work. Yeah, I saw you post that, and it, you know, it's sad because if it's true, uh, he's only 65 years old, I think. And of course, yeah. anybody that knows me knows Die Hard is my favorite movie, so Bruce Willis will always have a place in my heart. But we've made jokes and, and kidded about these these movies that he's been cranking out forever now. So this explains a lot, if this is true. And and actually, the one we talked about last week was actually the most watchable, said, yeah. the best of the bunch that I've seen of these type of movies for, for a long time now. So um, so it's understandable. It's It's really too bad, if true. I know you're more in tune with these rumors than I am, but boy, they've been doing a good job of keeping it quiet. I didn't hear anything about that until you posted it. The first time I'd heard anything of it was years ago when he uh, left that Woody Allen movie. Oh, yeah. Supposedly at the time was he was having trouble remembering his lines and, you know, that Woody Allen or whoever wasn't happy about that. Pair that up with this and you can see maybe that was the start of it all. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's depressing. Yeah. And, you know, you can't really fault him for just trying to. Uh, no, not at all. Take care of everything. And. You know, I haven't seen the most recent one that you talked about that you said was pretty good. Um, yeah, Gasoline Alley. got nine more coming out <laughs> over the next year or so, so hopefully there'll be a couple other good ones. Yeah, hopefully. There. That was the one. He, he makes so many of them with this uh, Edward Drake, and I think that is the, the Gasoline Alley that just came out was the fifth of the Edward Drakes, and I've seen them all, and it's the best one, yeah. and he's got another one coming with, also with John Travolta, I think, coming yeah. uh, very soon, so... So we'll see. Yeah, that's a that's that's a sad bit of news, and uh, hopefully, wish him uh, and the family the best. But it does it does explain a lot. So uh, you can always catch up on the stories, uh, good and bad, with uh, Daniel Baldwin. You can find him at the Schlocketeer, and uh, we appreciate you checking in as always. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, looking ahead to next week, looks like an animated film leads the pack. Turning Red comes out next week. Also, the Adam Project. Uh, ultrasound. Fear. Moon Manor. The Seed. Heckle. Striding into the wind. Oh, <laughs> pridefully, I'm guessing. <laughs> and uh, and also Adventures in Success. So we'll see how successful that film or any of those films are 
next week. But this week, of course, what do you think about the Batman? So much to chew on there. Let us know what you thought. Always good to keep the conversation going. We love it. You can find us on Twitter at Mad Wolf. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram. That is Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website with all of our written reviews and from our other Mad Wolf writers. Uh, you can find that all there at MadWolf.com along with our other horror movie only podcast called Fright Club. So check it out if you can. Uh, until next week, stay well. Keep in touch. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>